is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. It's Books and Authors Day on Catholic Review Radio. This is Chris Gunty. In our second segment, we'll talk to Dr. Michael Pakalik, author of Mary's Voice in the Gospel According to John. But in this first segment, we'll talk with George Weigel, author of Not Forgotten, Elegies for and Reminiscences of a Diverse Cast of Characters, most of them admirable. George Weigel, a distinguished senior fellow of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, is a Catholic theologian and one of America's leading public intellectuals. George grew up in Baltimore and received a Bachelor of Arts from St. Mary's Seminary and University in Baltimore and a master's degree from the University of St. Michael's College in Toronto. He's the author of almost 30 books and editor of some more. Welcome again to the show, George. Good to have you back. Thanks, Chris. Always good to be with you. In Not Forgotten, you've compiled 60 elegies, laments for the dead, according to the dictionary, of a variety of people. Some are connected to the Catholic Church, but not all. What brings such a diverse group as Pete Seeger, Frank Robinson, Jackie Robinson, and Albert Einstein together in one book, among others? Well, the simple answer is I wrote eulogies for all of them. But I think the the deeper answer is that these 60-some pen portraits of, of notable people, which I've sketched over the years and lightly re-edited for this collection, all teach us something about righteous living, about noble living, even though some of them teach it along the old via negativa, the, you know, how not right. to do things. Exactly. But in the main, this is a celebration of great human personalities, people who made a real impact uh, on the world one way or another. Uh, I've been told by several readers that they find it an enormously encouraging book, which I was, I'm delighted to hear. I didn't write it to cheer people up, but uh, mm-hmm. since we can all use some cheering up these days, I'm glad to be able to have done that. Yeah, you know, we, we talk a lot about, oh gosh, you know, reading obits can kind of be a sad thing, but in many ways, to see a life well-lived you know, portrayed in a few paragraphs even, uh, is an amazing thing, especially when that life has touched so many other people. Not counting John Paul II, who you have a couple uh, in here, uh, and about whom you've written several books, which of these elegies was your favorite? Well, actually, there are some of them uh, involving people I never met, whom I have a great uh, regard for, Uh, You mentioned Albert Einstein. I think he was one of the most fascinating figures of the modern world, not simply for his scientific brilliance, but for his, if you'll pardon the phrase, theological insight. Uh, It was Einstein who said of, of a certain kind of physics, which said there's just randomness at the bottom of everything. God does not play dice. And that's, uh, that's, uh, an interesting way to make, make the act of faith. 
Sophie Scholl of the White Rose uh, anti-Nazi movement during the Second World War, uh, a woman who's considered a martyr by the Lutheran Church in Germany, is someone I'd like to have met. Uh, Franz Jagerstatter, who was beatified by the Catholic Church and who's the subject of a new movie. Impressive movie, yeah. Yeah, uh, is someone whose who's beatification cause I tried to help get unfrozen uh, to some, uh, I think, success. Uh, and I certainly would have liked to have known him. I think there's some people in here who never got the credit they deserved uh, in their lifetime. Lindy Boggs, a former ambassador to the Vatican and member, longtime member of Congress. Bill Doherty, uh, a labor leader, uh, almost entirely forgotten even within the labor movement today, but a, uh, a real expression of mid 20th century Catholic social thought applied to uh, the empowerment of uh, poor people. Uh, particularly in Latin America. Uh, Bill was a great friend. I did know him, and uh, uh, I'm happy to, to kind of resurrect him for a, a new generation. So there are lots of folks in here. I also include my parents, who were both lifelong uh, Baltimoreans, um, because I think they were interesting people, although they were not public people. I wanted people to get to know them a little bit. You know, a few years ago, I saw the movie Obituary, which was a, a documentary about the New York Times obituary writing staff and about the work that they take preparing, you know, doing research on people's lives, even well before the person has passed away, while the person is still with us. But that idea of really kind of digging into who was this person? What shaped them? How did they get to be where they are? And why do we know about them? And why do we care? And obviously, some of the, the portraits were of people who were very famous, you know, the kind of people for whom we would prepare an obituary in advance. But some of them were not. Some of them were teachers and writers and plumbers and, you know, whatever it is, just people who had a, an interesting life. When you were doing this, what kind of research did you have to do on each of these folks? It really depends on, uh, on uh, each personality. These essays, these sketches of, of personalities were written really over a period of 40 years. I mean, a lot of them have been written recently because I'm now at an age where I find my weekly column uh, more frequently uh, commemorating friends and associates who have died. What I've tried to do, Chris, is let these people be understood for good or ill from inside the convictions that made them who they were. And I've also tried to bring out facets of the personal lives of public officials that people might not be aware of. And I think that's important. This is in a sense an exercise in the British journalistic tradition of the obituary, which is quite different from the US. I mean, the Times, uh, Washington Post, they're very fact-driven. Uh, obituaries in the Times of London or the Daily Telegraph uh, or the Guardian are art forms. I mean, they're, they're literary art forms and they try to get you a sense of the personality in all of his or her eccentricities, for example. And I think that's a great way to write about people and help people get to know them from inside. Mm -hmm. In the, uh, the subtitle of the book, it, you refer to this cast of characters and most of them admirable. Uh, what makes somebody 
admirable? I think in the case of the public officials I describe here, people in public life, Sarge Shriver, uh, Marylander by uh, birth, mm -hmm. uh, Scoop Jackson, Henry Hyde, Lindy Boggs, Anwar Sadat, uh, Václav Havel. These were people who went into public life to get things done for what they understood to be the common good. And I thought it was important to lift that up at this moment in American history, when politics has become far too much an exercise in performance art across the spectrum of political opinion, and far less a matter of actual accomplishment for the common good. When you were looking at, at these profiles, and again, you've talked about having written them over the over a course of decades, uh, what intrigues you most about somebody? Is it where they came from or where they ended up? I think it's the connection between the two. You look at somebody who got into this book very late because she died while I was re-editing these essays and, and putting them together in a, in a single volume. Audrey Donathorne, uh, daughter of Christian missionaries in China in the uh, 1930s, uh, convert to Catholicism uh, at Oxford, one of the leading students of Chinese communist economics uh, in the world. And for the last 20 years, a kind of uh, secret agent for the Catholic Church inside uh, mainland China, where she ran a support service uh, for, from Hong Kong uh, for people, Catholics in the mainland, who could not get missiles, who could not get Bibles, who could not get liturgical materials. Uh, a remarkable uh, woman who was the agent with Cardinal Joseph Zen of getting Witness to Hope and the End in the Beginning, my two volume biography of John Paul II, uh, translated into uh, Chinese and, and published mm -hmm. in Hong Kong. Uh, just earlier last year, just last year, right before things really have gotten tough in Hong Kong. So it was in the nick of time. I think somebody like that uh, who uh, follows a sense of vocation throughout life, not just career, but, you know, what am I supposed to be doing now? What is God asking me to do now? Th this is what makes for a really interesting uh, and fulfilled life. And um, while I never met Audrey, uh, we spoke all the time by email and late in the last days of her life by videos. And I, I wanted to include somebody like that whom very few people out of her personal circle ever heard of, uh, or the academic world that she was an all-star in. Uh, but who had a real impact on the life of the church under very difficult circumstances in China. That's fascinating. Well, we have been talking with George Weigel about his new book, Not Forgotten, Elegies for and Remembrance of a Diverse Cast of Characters, most of them admirable. It's out from Ignatius Press. George, where can folks get the book? Uh, anywhere good books are sold, uh, you can get it directly from Ignatius Press, or you can get it on the online uh, book services. I haven't been canceled yet uh, <laughs> on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. 
Well, that's good to know. Well, thanks so much again for joining us again today, George. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Chris. Good to be with you. After the break, we will talk with Dr. Michael Pakalik about his new book, Mary's Voice in the Gospel According to John. This is Chris Gunty, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Perpetual Adoration is coming to Baltimore for the first time ever. On May 31st, the Basilica of the Assumption, America's first Catholic cathedral, will begin 24-7 Eucharistic adoration if the cathedral can get enough adorers to commit to praying day and night. Will you sign up for one hour and keep watch with the Lord? Will you pray for our country and for our church? To learn more, visit americasfirstcathedral.org slash adoration. That's A-M-E-R-I-C-A-S firstcathedral.org slash adoration. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Seventy-five years after Melvin Johnzak Sr. put his life in peril in World War II, he finally received recognition for that service. In 2000, the Department of the Army notified Johnzak that his duty crossing the Atlantic on a banana boat and in the European theater had earned him a Bronze Star, Marksmanship Badge, Good Conduct Medal, Occupation Medal, and World War II Victory Medal. Fast forward 20 years to a conversation John Zack had with Catherine Kondratik, a property manager with Catholic Charities Abingdon Gardens, where he resides. Talk turned to how veterans and seniors are easily forgotten, and he shared with her the letter about his overdue commendations. Unbeknownst to John Zack, Kondratik set about getting those medals to him, which he was given in a surprise pinning ceremony in front of family and Abingdon Gardens staff last December. Quote, A lot of veterans didn't get their medals, John Zack, 97, told the review. I almost thought I would never get my medals, but I am sure glad I was running my mouth with Kat, Catherine Kondratik, because she made this happen. She did this for me, end quote. Months later, whenever Kondratik encountered Johnsek, he says, quote, Thank you, hon. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. The priesthood, quote, is not a career, it is a service, Pope Francis told nine men just before ordaining them to the priesthood for the Diocese of Rome. The service to which priests are called must reflect the way God continues to care for his people. A, quote, style of closeness, a style of compassion, and a style of tenderness, the Pope told the men April 25th during his homily at the ordination mass at St. Peter's Basilica. The mass marked the first time in more than a year that Pope Francis presided at a liturgy at the main altar in the basilica, and the first time that more than a few hundred people were allowed in at the same time. Close to 1,000 people, mainly friends and family of the ordinance, sat socially distant, wearing masks throughout the Mass. The new priests, who are between the ages of 26 and 43, include six Italians, a Romanian, a Colombian, and a Brazilian. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the virtual newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. With us today on Catholic Review Radio is Dr. Michael Pakalik, a professor of ethics and social philosophy in the Bush School of Business at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. We're talking with him today about his new book from Regnery Publishing, Mary's Voice in the Gospel of John. Welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. It's great to be with you. 
Let's jump right in. We know that on the cross, Jesus entrusted Mary to the care of John when he said, Behold your mother. I had a chance to visit Mary's house in Ephesus in Turkey, where we believe the Blessed Mother went to live after the resurrection, with John presumably nearby. Do we know how close Mary and John were in those days? Wow, I'm just impressed that you went to Ephesus. I'd love to go there. Um, Well, the house uh, is not large, right? Right, right, very small. Right, and so she lived in his household. She was a, a widow. She was on her own, not supported. They would have to be very close. They'd have to be in, together in that little house, uh, and you know, perhaps for as many as thirty years. When we talk about what they did together, and part of that is that Mary had a great influence on Jesus. Jesus had a great influence on John. Uh, if you're like me, your mom had a great influence on you. How did Mary influence Jesus's ministry and and his teachings and and what he did throughout his public life? Well, that's interesting. So that's Mary's influence on Jesus. And very rarely is, it's a very interesting question you raise, very rarely is the life of Jesus discussed in this way, how it reflects his mother. Typically, people are working backwards from Jesus to the mother rather than from the mother to Jesus. And, you know, in this year of St. Joseph, the same thing can be asked about Joseph. Exactly. Children don't your sons don't come out of out of you know, nothing, and God chose to have Jesus incarnated in a human family, and and that means he was you know he was subject to him as the scripture said, and that he um, developed in the way that uh, he had perfect human nature, so he had to show the same kind of dependence on his parents as any son would have. So you know I that's that's a really fruitful question. It's actually different from the one in my book, which is um, Mary's influence on John in writing his gospel. I was going to get to that next. Yeah. So in that vein, if Mary and Joseph, as you're saying, if Mary and Joseph inspired Jesus through the way they, they brought him up, the way they taught him, how did Mary inspire John in in his writings when they were spending that much time together? Would she have shared her experiences with the Lord early on with John? And is there any way to know? Is there any way from his gospel to know whether there was an influence from Mary on that? Well, I think there's a sense in which the early life of our Lord, uh, private life, working as a carpenter and so on, is meant to be hidden. In other words, it's it's kind of its preciousness derives from the fact that it's private. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. you know, there people have private lives and they have public lives. And, um, you know, Mary was very interestingly at that transition point at the wedding feast of Cana, kind of Mm -hmm. when he became public, his life became public. So, you know, I don't think, um, you know, no sense is that I'm going to tell you all the details about when he was a child and that's going to affect how you think. I think it's more that together they thought about the public life of our Lord, because the public life is what's designed for Christians to reflect on and to know about and to respond to. We know, you know, there are only a few touch points in Jesus's early life that we know about uh, the, the teaching in the temple, certainly, you know, his baptism in the temple, those kinds of things. But there isn't, as you say, there isn't a lot. There are people who've written about that uh, and conjectured what those years were like. But it's it's rare that we see that when you talk about the public ministry of Jesus, though, especially through the eyes of John, how do we see the Lord through the eyes of somebody who only met him in his last few years. One of the um, you know, really interesting things about Mary is that she 
began to see Jesus as uh, divine from the moment of his conception. So the angel Gabriel says that Jesus is God with us, right? And he's conceived of the Holy Spirit, uh, so he's divine. And the divinity of our Lord was part of the kind of the marriage proposal of God to man, which, which is the, the the Annunciation that Mary had to know what she was up to. It's kind of informed consent. When you ask somebody's consent to marriage, you have to <laughs> they have to know who you are and what you're up to and what being married would be. Otherwise, they can't give their free consent to it. So Mary had to understand that Jesus was God when she consented to it. And, you know, and then she couldn't be pregnant and carrying around God, man within her and not be aware of that. That would be uh, absurd. And, um, you know, it would be like carrying, I like to use the image of a pyx. That's the golden container that a Eucharist is carried around within. Um, you couldn't just give that to someone and say, you know, here's a piece of bread or not inform them that it was consecrated host. And so Mary, as pregnant, had to be aware of the divinity of our Lord. She was aware of this and knew it from the get-go, and she spent 30 years meditating on it before even entered into public ministry. So what, you know, it's obvious from the Gospel of Mark and the Synoptic Gospels that the disciples spent three years trying to figure it out, and it's not even clear that they did at the end of those three years, right? Right. So their perspective on Jesus and his public life is really quite different. It's one of confusion and misunderstanding and, you know, half-hearted and, you know, failed attempts to trust in him and so figure out who he is. And but Mary, right from the start, knew exactly who he was. I mean, this is so clear from the marriage feast of Cana, where she says to the servants there, do whatever he tells you. Well, you know, what was he going to say, right? There's only one thing he could say that could have remedied the absence of wine in a very, very large marriage feast, and that would be to create wine. There's nothing else he could do, right, to solve the problem. So right from the start, she evinces a kind of perfect confidence in his ability to create wine, as God. It's, it's, it's absolutely clear. And that explains a lot about the Gospel of John, right? So it's, you know, Jesus uses I am, the, the word for God, throughout the Gospel. He, he identifies himself as God using the name of God. And the Gospel of John is kind of from the point of view of Jesus. I mean, the, the light came into the world and the world rejected. He came to his own people and his own people didn't, didn't receive him. It's, it's, it starts from the viewpoint of Jesus as God and proceeds from there, where that's not even an attainment of the Gospel of Mark at the end of the Gospel. This is not the first time you've taken a, one of the Gospels and just kind of broken it open in a way that, that is a new way of looking at it. You and I talked a few years ago about the Memoirs of St. Peter, yes. a new translation of the Gospel according to Mark. That was... You know, and that was a way of opening up the Gospel of Mark in a new way that looked at Mark through the eyes of Peter. Now you're looking at John through the eyes of Mary. How does this book explore that theme? Well, it has an introduction which kind of sets out the general case and some of the kind of general characteristics of the Gospel of John that can be explained um, you know, on the assumption of that influence. I'll, I'll give you an example. The mm-hmm. Gospel of Mark, as we discussed, is largely a series of, um, you know, powerful deeds, um, you know, uh, divine acts, uh, which our Lord does. He he expels demons. He calms the storm. Peter and Mark, they're very impressed by action. Whereas the Gospel of John is a series of conversations, exchanges that are knit together by a narrative framework. It's, It's really about discussions and persons in relationship who are talking to each other rather than mighty deeds and mighty acts. And so it's, um, 
you know, right there, you see a kind of difference in a viewpoint, which you might want to say, well, you know, you can't prove that a woman's insight is behind that. But you could say, well, you know, if a woman's insight were behind this, it would explain why conversation and talk is so interesting and found to be so fascinating. So, you know, there are these general characteristics of the Gospel of John that the thesis helps to explain. And then there's a commentary that goes along with, you know, fresh translation and then a commentary for each chapter. And particular details are looked at in each chapter, which also are the sort of things you'd expect to see if Mary was an influence. Now, I don't think the word influence is quite the right word because it suggests, you know, John was going to do his own thing and then Mary kind of barged in and said, well, why don't you try it this way? I think it's more like, um, you know, as we discussed, they lived together in a small house and um, they would naturally see everything in the same way. I mean, they, they were both holy persons and they had similar temperaments and uh, similar loves. And they, they would, I, I like the phrase, they would be of one mind about yeah. the life of Jesus. Or in the, in the terms of Pope Francis, they accompanied each other on this journey. For sure. Yes, that's for sure. Where can people get this book? The book is called Mary's Voice and the Gospel According to John from Regnery Publishing. Where's the best place for people to get that? Well, it's very convenient to get it on Amazon. And they do have, if you're a Prime member, they do have free shipping. But I understand how some people are upset with Amazon and and they actually want to try to use them less. In that case, you can go to the Regnery website and it actually, or Barnes & Noble too, has the book. But the Regnery is now discounting comparable to Amazon. They want to kind of compete with Amazon. So you can get a pretty good price at Regnery Regnery Press. Go directly to Regnery. And that's Regnery.com, R-E-G-N-E-R-Y.com. And you'll be able to find the book there. Well, we have been talking today with Dr. Michael Pakalik about his book, Mary's Voice and the Gospel According to John. Thank you so much for being with us today. Chris, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.